With cybersecurity becoming more complex and the threats even more dangerous, knowing what to do to protect yourself can seem like an impossible task. That is until now. Welcome to the Cyberbytes Podcast, where we help you filter through the noise one bite at a time. Episode of the Cyber Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Sturgeon. With me today is a colleague in the fight on cybercrime and everything when it comes to making our world safer when it comes to cybersecurity. First met at Cybertech Midwest last year, and I'd actually been following him on social media, and I'm not for sure how the way LinkedIn comes up with suggestions and been following him on LinkedIn for a little bit longer than that. But I am very pleased to bring on this show for the first time, Eric Wassner of Vericode. I would have to say becoming more than just colleagues, but friends. I mean, we've got a lot of mutual contacts and I mean, just how we have, you know, on a professional level, really started, you know, trying to do more together between what I do and in the, you know, in my day job and what he does for his. But after getting to know him and sitting and talking with him over the last almost year, I mean, just a fantastic individual, really interesting background that I hope we get into. But Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Nick. I had no idea this was the inaugural episode. Yeah. So now I'm doubly <laughs> excited <laughs> and really excited to be here. And, uh, and have the conversation with you today. Yeah, you know, I, I so my kind of transition episode between my old formatted podcast, the Cyber.Now podcast, and this one, I did a, a more political themed, had an interview with a, a, um, a candidate for Indiana AG, but really to kick off this new format, the new branding and everything, I really wanted to bring on someone who I I didn't get a chance to from the last podcast, but, you know, like yourself, just have become starting to become a friend more though than just a a professional colleague uh, onto this kickoff show. Give it a little different flair than what it was, but really, you know, as even regardless of the format, I think it's important that the audience that I'm trying to reach out to, get an understanding of just the different aspects of cybersecurity. There is so much out there. And, you know, from what you you do from a professional standpoint, even though, it, you know, cyber, it is still a different niche than what I focus on day in and day out. But yeah, it's, it, I wanted to get you on and on this inaugural kickoff episode of, of this podcast and really Breaking down as the catchphrase that I have on here is, you know, taking a bite literally both from a sense when we break something down, want to get it into really consumable for, you know, bites or segments, you know, Mm -hmm. from an, you know, audio perspective, but also from a cyber perspective, we deal with bits and bites every day. So, (laughs) yes, we do. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's so fun to, to have the opportunity to talk about some of the different aspects of, of cybersecurity and 
I think honestly, IT in general, so many people are really, really shocked when they take a look at my background and they're like, okay, you know, expecting, ah, I came from this big local company doing these technical projects and, and they, they get a little bit further in the resume or the LinkedIn profile and they see opera singer. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, you know, I'm just a kid from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and tech has always just been interesting and it clicked for me. I remember I was 12, 13 years old and, and actually got into a, an MMORPG that I still dabble on in my free time. And uh, I, I wound up getting my hands on the server files and decided I just wanted to stand up my own version. You know, why play the game when you can run one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it, it's just so funny, like how technology creeps its way into to, to people's paths. And uh, I mean, I ran that server probably six, seven years. I had 375 simultaneous users when I shut it down. And it was running off of an old compact Presario out of my bedroom and a business line uh, to my home in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And, you know, I had a choice in school. Do I continue to go down the path of, uh, of technology or um, do I try and turn kind of my my advocation, and which was music always, um, into a vocation? And uh, I was really fortunate and, and blessed, quite honestly, to have the opportunity to pursue music as a vocation. And, uh, and, and oddly enough, it's kind of a nice hybrid between the flexibility of technology and kind of the, the specialty of technology and uh, being able to, to keep my passion uh, going. So it's, it's, it's always really fun to, to have the chance to talk a little bit about how people come to it, you know, what types of folks are in the, in the field. Yeah. And I think that's a good point, especially in the environment that we find ourselves in from a, you know, personnel standpoint, finding, you know, they, we've heard for years that we're in a, a skilled labor shortage within cybersecurity. And I've always been an advocate of you don't have to have this certain quote unquote pedigree to get into cybersecurity. And just as in, in normal life, diversity is such an important thing. The diversity people and their backgrounds and their experiences bring into cybersecurity is so important because it's not a technical issue. It is a people issue above all else. And so you deal with people, it's end users. The technology is either an, an enabler or it can be a detractor, but it's really the people. And so if whether you come from MIT or Harvard or the Silicon Valley as that quote unquote pure, pe pre, uh, excuse me, pedigree, yeah, I've never had any time for that mm -hmm. because there's so many talented individuals coming from many, many educational backgrounds, let alone their, you know, professional or personal backgrounds that really can offer so much to this domain that we call cybersecurity. And the challenges that we face when we're, you know, dealing with our companies, whether internally from my perspective or in your perspective as a, you know, trying to serve a client you're dealing with people, you're, whether it's HR or finance or whatever side, it's just not tech people. And probably some of the tech people can be a little bit more hard to deal with than <laughs> anybody else. And I'm guilty of that. Uh, uh, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I, let's get a little bit into the opera because, you know, we're living in this current pandemic crisis of COVID-19 and on LinkedIn, 
over the past couple weeks, you've actually posted some short videos of you singing opera. The acoustics sound really cool. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. How did you go from opera to, to you know, doing tech and cybersecurity? Yeah, you know, um, opera has always been something that I find a lot of parallels in, um, particularly in technology and, and, and in the field of business development. You know, it's a, it's a team sport. Opera is, is something that, although I might have my aria, where I have my three to five minutes of uh, just me, myself, and I, and the conductor and the orchestra, it, it, it's, it's always a team sport. You know, there's no opera that, that goes off without an entire group of individuals who are just as passionate um, going towards the exact same goal you are to make a show successful and mm-hmm. get that bravo from the audience and standing ovation at the end, right? Yeah. Um, I, I always found it fascinating how technology and cybersecurity in particular is very much the same. Some of the most successful cybersecurity projects that I get to work with and get to see on a daily basis are they, they have a great maestro, right? They have a great conductor, a great leader who accurately and clearly articulate a vision uh, for the strategic development of a cybersecurity program at a particular organization. And then it's, it's, it's the individual team members that come together under that vision to make it happen. And so for me, it was honestly a stroke of, of some dumb luck. Honestly, I, I actually uh, wound up uh, applying for my very first gig in cybersecurity at, uh, at Trustwave via LinkedIn. And they brought me in and I, I stated my case. I said, you know, I, I ran a lot of technology as a kid. Um, it's always, I've always been a tinkerer at heart and, and this is what I want to get into. And uh, they gave me a shot, you know, they gave me an opportunity and uh, I decided to just dive in with both feet. I think that's one thing that the field lends itself to is that as long as you're able to learn and you know how to learn, all the information is out there. Uh, especially now, a lot of it is, free or very low cost. And so I just took everything I could uh, to learn about all the different technologies to be at least talk ready. Uh, And of course, as you get into it and you talk to different clients and customers and prospects, then you really start to have to learn all the little nitty gritty detail. And so it's, it's a little bit of trial by error, which, you know, in, in opera, sometimes you, you practice that high note and you crack a million times before it comes out ringing the way you want it to. And I, I failed forward a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so what was that first gig at Trustwave? Yeah. At Trustwave, uh, I was part of the state and local and higher education group. Uh, and so it was a, it's an individual contributor role. And uh, I went from focusing on state and local government and higher ed um, to actually building out the nonprofit and membership vertical uh, for the organization. So it was a nationwide effort. And today, I believe the business unit is supporting 10 or 12 people and, and multiple millions of dollars. So it was, it was a lot of fun because I got exposure to a myriad of professional services, so different assessments uh, for PCI and HIPAA along with penetration testing and exposure to on-prem and managed services and cloud services uh, while in that role. It was really a great way to kind of, I guess, get to know a lot about everything mm-hmm. um, and and practice that knowledge. Yeah. And having in my just previous role to what I am doing now, when you can support a diverse set of clients, the things that you get expo- or, excuse me, get exposed to 
really, really pushes you to learn and be able to become maybe not a master, but very advanced in that knowledge and even sometimes practicing that particular set of skills. But it it really pushes you to grow as an individual and as a professional, which as much as the consulting world, you either love it or you hate it, (laughs) I think everybody should do it. Because of that particular thing, you know, when I was supporting uh, some very large clients, but they were all over the board as far as industry verticals and the Mm -hmm. things that they are dealing with, it really made you be on your game all the time. And and I don't know, there's just something about it. Unless you've been there, it's kind of hard to explain. But I, I do think for me, it helped me professionally to get to where I, you know, I'm at in my current role. So uh, Trustwave. So what did you do right after Trustwave? Yeah, right after Trustwave, I dabbled outside of cybersecurity for a little while. <laughs> and I, I found out very quickly that uh, I really enjoyed the more technical, I guess, requirements uh, that the space uh, needed. Uh, and so I had an opportunity uh, after kind of experimenting outside of cybersecurity to, to sing professionally, full time, uh, on the road. <laughs> and <laughs> And it was one of those things where I said, you know, there's no better time than now. And I dove into it and it was an amazing experience. And when I got the phone call to uh, come to Veracode, um, which dabbles in, is not dabbles in, is strictly focused on application security. That was an area that I found intense interest in while I was at Trustwave and kind of throughout my, my time, just tinkering on my own application security, just always seemed to bubble up to the top. And so uh, when I got the phone call to, to explore the opportunity, I, ha- I had to jump at it. You know, it was, it was, it's an amazing place to be. And we're solving, I think, one of the biggest and fastest growing problems, um, not even problems, uh, opportunities for improvement uh, within the space uh, that, that, that we work in every single day. Well, and no matter where you go, you're on an application. If you're using technology just the way that the technology stack works at the very very top is application layer and it's really that i think is as as much as there are oh how do i want to put this you know books and books on operating systems and everything on development when it comes to cybersecurity, secure coding practices is relatively new is that a fair assessment I would say so. Yeah, it's it's interesting when you think about the the way software has evolved in terms of how it's developed. So we had this stage in time where the waterfall approach, right, yep. uh, was was primary, and now folks said, well, that's not keeping up with the pace of the world. You have this this issue of businesses demanding uh, different applications and different feature functionality to keep up with the demand of their constituents, whether it's a citizen or a customer, and the development practices thus have had to improve and and evolve along with that demand. And so we go from waterfall to agile to now DevOps, DevSecOps, I, I, you know, however you want to yeah. put those, those, those <laughs> things together, um, where now we live in a world where we have to be able to engage with companies that are essential for life um, without being there in person. And it's just, it's, it's, in, it's incredible to me. 
um, how quickly that that evolution has happened. And you know, one thing that we get to do at Veracode every year is is sort of take a a high level look at the state of software security. And we've been doing it for the last 10 years. And in the first volume, we examined approximately 1500 unique applications, 1500 unique applications. And in this recent volume, uh, we examined 85,000 unique applications and 1.4 million scans. Jeez. it's not, I mean, so that's that's just our sample size. Yeah. Right. So that's indicative of the explosion of software trying to connect the world. Uh, and also the explosion of that particular attack vector. Yeah. Um, that all of us now are trying to figure out, you know, what what are the layers that we need to have in place to keep all of this this cool stuff that keeps us connected, that, yep. that creates ha- you know smarter cities, uh, is driving digital transformation in government, in the public sector safe. It's all, all of our data. Yeah. Well, and, you know, for being a little bit of a history buff in, into technology and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll be 39 this year. So I remember pre-internet, I mean, really mainframe computers were floors big, not even going back further when they were buildings big and the you know concept of software was punch cards to floppy disks, you know, to where things weren't actually running on the computer. You had to have that external media. I mean, three Windows 3.1, putting in, you know, the the floppy disk to make it run to the transformation of now because hardware got faster, the hard drive space started to get bigger. Now you didn't need that external media to run these applications, which even before the internet, you know, if you can't get to it, it's hard for an attacker to to get access to it. But viruses were still a thing. You still had mm-hmm. to worry about that. Now to this evolution of where we're constantly connected. We have multiple devices running who knows how many hundreds, if not thousands of variations of operating systems and application versions and, and all of that stuff to now things kind of ironically are moving back into the mainframe or i.e. the cloud where things on the devices, that software on the devices is actually moving back onto somebody else's (laughs) stuff. But from a security standpoint and an application security standpoint, I mean, that change in paradigm is, is just crazy to see. It's crazy to see. And it's, it's, it's happening faster and faster and faster every single day. I, I think what's what's most interesting about the current events, this this pandemic we're all dealing with, sheltering in place and everything like that, is that some of the basic things we took for granted being able to do in person or to manage in person, if you're an IT professional, now all these organizations are scrambling, not only how can my people you know, get access to or, or do their day-to-day work while they're not in the office, but how do I ensure that they have access to all the data and all the things that they need to do those daily activities securely? And how do my, my, my customers, how do my citizens get access to the things that they need to do without going in person, right? And standing in line and, and filling out hard paperwork um, that is going to go somewhere that is now closed. 
it's 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 very interesting to see from my perspective the, the the governments that that are most resilient today are the ones who really have been able to be agile and 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 bob and weave if you will um, with all of the new demands and, and new things that have been coming out um, given all the restrictions we're under today yeah and as a lot of companies are adapting to this contactless kind of society that we are finding ourselves in as a result of uh, COVID-19, those companies are turning to all sorts of different types of applications, applications via cell phone or smartphone, laptop, computer. And because of the the rapidness that this is happening, and you know, a lot of this being forced by governments mandating these restrictions, from a security professional, that scares the living bejesus out of me because <laughs> right now, under normal circumstances, development teams are already not doing a lot of the things that we would like to see them do from a cybersecurity standpoint. But now you've got this massive pace, and you know, it's really breakneck speeds that they're pushing these things out and security tends to be the last thing that they think about. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's that's been a problem that's been around for so many years that, that security has always been, when it comes to application development or software in general, is that it's it's sort of a bolt-on uh, once the feature functionality is, is set. And it's oftentimes lobbed over a firewall you know, within the organization <clears throat> for the security team to do what they do. And then the security team throws those results over that same firewall back at the developers. And you have this weird, in some, in some organizations, it's, it's an outright conflict where the developers are, are telling the security team to go pound salt. And the security team says, you've got to do it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, really, it's really an exercise in, in managing people and managing change, almost more so than finding the right technology to poke holes in someone's work or identify opportunities for improvement in someone's work. Well, yeah. And a lot of the, the developers that I've worked with or consulted to, they see that, you know, use of Veracode or um, other type of similar technologies as, well, you're just trying to poke holes. You're calling me a bad developer. And it's like, no, that's not the case. We want to help you be better. And I know that's a message personally that I've heard from Veracode and you specifically, um, which is a thing I very much appreciate about the way Veracode has handled how they approach, you know, potential clients or current clients is it's like, we're here to help, you know, partner with you. We're not trying to get anybody fired by saying you're a bad coder or developer, but we want to make the organization, your business, more secure. Yeah, I mean, I, f I feel like that's part of the DNA of the organization. I mean, we've been around for a while. Um, and, you know, some of the folks who are, are the founders or co-founders of the organization, Chris Weisopel in particular, um, is a hacker himself, right? He came from, from that background, was part of the Loft Hacking Collective. And the folks at the top of our organization really understand the developer. And I've always really appreciated places that uh, approach the human aspect along with the technology aspect. You know, in cybersecurity, there's so many, there's so much noise out there about, I do this, that, or the other thing better. My widget is the best thing in the world. It's, it's the magic wand, the silver bullet. And in application security, whether you're going to talk to 
an organization like Veracode or, or whomever, right? There's not a silver bullet to get software more secure today if it has never been a part of the culture of your organization ever. It's, there's, there's no company out there uh, who can honestly say that you buy my stuff, we're going to make it happen, period. It, it, it doesn't really work like that. It really is a partnership. Uh, and that's something that I value greatly. I think it's something that all of our customers value greatly. And it's certainly something that uh, Veracode really supports is that it, it's a journey that uh, we should take our customers through. Yeah. And that culture piece is so huge. And and I'm going to pick on cybersecurity professionals for a little bit here because um, I think we've picked on the developers a little bit. I, having worked with a bunch of cyber folks and even IT folks, it's that culture that's missing. It's, oh, I've got to deal with an end user or, you know, the from a cyber perspective, that network guy doesn't know what he's doing and, you know, misconfiguring. And I mean, but it, it, the culture of the organization tends to get lost when it gets into the IT world. And it, it's even more lost in some cases when it gets into the cyber world. But we as cybersecurity professionals have to break away from that. We have to get back to the, the point of we're here to serve the organization. We, in most cases, where there is tension, where an IT and cyber isn't integrated into the culture of the, the company, and it, it really is the, the job of the IT and cyber professionals to make sure that they stay involved and they're part of the, the culture, not vice versa. But it is looked as an expense, not an investment, not as a partner in the organization. It, it is an afterthought. Oh, well, we've got this compliance thing that we have to do. It says we need to be secure. So you know, the project's almost done. Let's just hand it off to the security team there, you know, two days before we're ready to you know, launch it live in our <laughs> environment. Yeah, it's not like the security yeah. team is yeah. ever stressed out. Yeah, all, no, you know, no, never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but to me, I think as cyber professionals, we need to take ownership of why that is. Why are they waiting to the last minute? We can say all day long, but they know, they know, they should know. It's in the policies. Well, obviously, either they read it and they didn't care enough to, or they just, you know, maybe they didn't know. But it, it is our job to be a partner alongside of them step by step. And not an adversary, but a partner to help them make sure that what they are doing will keep the lights on, whether it's maintaining the, the networks or ma making sure that that uh, web app that's bringing in that revenue stays up and it's not susceptible to, you know, denial of service or all sorts of other potential uh, threats, but we need to be there alongside them. Um, and I, not to say, you know, not to make broad strokes, but in my experience, you get that friction, that that almost adversarial relationship between, I even within IT and cyber, let alone cyber and the rest of the organization. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. 
you kind of touch on how to articulate what actually happens in IT and cyber in particular to folks who, when you're on the other side of it, right, when you're, you are the IT and cyber security professional, you take for granted that you live in it every day and everyone else should know what's going on. Whereas they just, sometimes they just don't. You know, I see that a lot in in some of our, our, our public sector customers and it's articulating the why that is, is super, super difficult. And I actually saw a leader speak um, at, at a conference in, in Minnesota and um, there was a photograph of, of a young girl, a young student in a school and he was explaining how um, a cyber attack targeted a, I believe it was an elementary school that had uh, somehow had a connection to a nuclear uh, weapons facility in the, in the same area. And, you know, it was so much more impactful to frame up the why in, in that sense. Uh, I mean, obviously it, it stuck with me. I'm still thinking about it. I still talk about it. And, and I think that's just, it's just so interesting to see how folks who are extremely effective uh, in their organization really understand that communicating that why clearly uh, and, and with fervor and with something that a lay person who is not an IT or cybersecurity professional can really resonate with goes a long way in removing that barrier that is the friction, you know, or or removing that opportunity to be think thought of as a an afterthought, right? Um, and, and set the organization up for success. It's key in anything. Yep. So let's take a step back here. We mentioned you work for Vericode, and if people are following along and playing the the home version of the game. Um, it's a, it has to do with the application and security, but what talk about Vericode for a little bit, you know, yeah. what do you guys do, you know, mission, you're kind of going back and getting everybody kind of caught up to speed. Yeah, definitely. So Vericode has a singular mission and that is to make secure software synonymous with great software and have that happen from the very beginning of the process so that the moment a developer sits down at his or her console and all those awesome ideas begin to emanate from their fingers into their ID, that they have the tools to ensure that all of those things are happening securely uh, before it leaves their system, as it goes through the build pipeline, um, before it hits that production environment. And, you know, we do that by offering a myriad of different opportunities to scan that particular application. We can look at the, the application in a rested state, look at dynamic testing, software composition analysis to look at the third-party components because nothing is built all first-party code nowadays. You usually are stitching together other people's uh, uh, components. Um, and, and being able to evaluate that against a policy that the security team has blessed. It, it really is, uh, it's, it's super interesting to see the, the technology intermingle with the, the developer enablement and then the, the program governance. Um, and it really is our, our mission in life and, and as a company to, to bring all of those pieces together uh, to make a, a programmatic approach to application security feasible. Nice. Now, and it, it's and I'm not saying this because I'm not getting paid to, you know, buy Vericode to say this is honestly <laughs> uh, my opinion. And, you know, having, you know, worked with you trying to get the application, the platform that you guys have as a service into my current organization, there are a lot of, and I'll use the bad word, vendors, <laughs> <laughs> that... The way they, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, you know, well, we've got the the best Blinky and 
have flashing lights and we've got this silver bullet or that magic wand or, you know, the panacea that'll solve all of your cybersecurity woes. That's not how you guys have presented it. And coming in and say, look, we're good at this one thing and we will help you solve what we can in this particular niche. And I appreciate that as a, you know, a potential customer, you know, and especially being inundated, you know, every day with, you know, all these sorts of um, sales folks trying to come in and, but that in these, the platform and the results that you guys show through the application, it isn't just talking the talk. It's, you're backing that up with some really strong results in, in the platform. So, um, yeah, so, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it, I, unsolicited, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I really, at the end of the day, you know, when we're thinking about application security, so many folks get stuck on how do I find the best tool to find the most flaws that are the most accurate, and they forget that at the end of you know when you're when you're really getting down to fixing that stuff, it's people that that make that move, and I think that's the one thing that has has been so successful for Veracode is that there's not uh, ignorance to the fact that it's a person who's going to action any of these results. Yeah. And it's people who are going to operationalize this concept of, of SEC security mm-hmm. in DevOps. And so if you're not able to get the developer the right scan at the right time in the right way, it's not ever going to happen for you. And so that's sort of the, the thing that, um, that I think Chris and and our CEO, Sam King, really have figured out um, is that it's truly a holistic approach. And to think of it just as a tool, um, you're going to be set up for failure from the very beginning. Yep. And I want to apologize to the audience and and even to you. Hopefully it's not too much of a distraction, but we're in this new time where everybody's at home and I've got dogs barking in the background (laughs) and (laughs) kids playing and being loud. And I, I know that... It just as it is more of a commentary on the way that, you know, living in a COVID-19 pandemic crisis is, is we, these are, this is the new normal for now. Kid, you know, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago on the BBC, you had the kid running into his dad's office and the mob kind of tackling the kid and, um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's a different it's a different world. If you had told me, you know, three or four months ago that I would not be on a plane uh, or on site and in the field all the time, or that you know my my wife would be doing all of her patient care through through telehealth, I'd be like, wow, that's that's a bold statement. Yeah, you know, crazy. You must have some yeah. kind of crystal ball. <laughs> Let me get some of that. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's it's really wild. I it's kind of a double edged sword. I mean, we were talking a little bit before this all started, and you know, I, I'm feeling a little bit cagey. I think everybody is at this point, and there's a ton of uncertainty on the same on on that same coin. There's there's tremendous amount of time for reflection on what's like really important. I think it's interesting that we've seen uh, essential services be uh, something that maybe prior COVID nineteen would be considered sort of eh, you know, that's it's just a grocery store. That's just a cashier that helps me get my groceries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these 
the I have to take my hat off to the, the essential workers who are in law enforcement and in healthcare. It's mind boggling to me, the selflessness that they exhibit in this world. You know, we're, we have the luxury of staying home and, you know, getting our day jobs finished. You know, I'm really, really thankful for that. Some of these folks, I mean, they have to be out there, you know, and, and they have to, quite frankly, put their lives on the line. And it's, it's, it's just wild to me. I have so much respect for, <laughs> for, for all of those folks. Yeah, I, I feel for the, the frontline workers that are out there, especially the law enforcement and the folks in public safety and, and the health community, healthcare, which I work in, but very much behind the scenes. Um, I know I, I, I don't want to take it for granted because not too long ago, I was there dealing with this, the public safety aspect, being a former law enforcement officer, never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that this was going to be something that they would have to deal with as they are. Um, and again, very fortunate that I'm able to do what I do from home. Um, I, that's one of the great things about technology and why I love being in cybersecurity is we're not necessarily defined by the location of where we are. We can interact with folks from all over the, the world. But yeah, my uh, thoughts and, and prayers go out to all of those folks. And there's been a number of law enforcement officers, paramedics, doctors, nurses that have not only contracted, but some of them have lost their lives as a result of this. And I'm counting my blessings because if things hadn't worked out the way they did, I would still probably be, be a state trooper and who knows where I would be at this point, but it would probably be dealing with this <laughs> yeah. uh, on the front lines, so to speak. So yeah, it, it's just nuts. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking just a, a year ago now, I was in Detroit, you know, four or five days a week helping a client uh, mm -hmm. with the project that they're on. And just to think, you know, 12 months later that that's, it had that same project been going on, I wouldn't be making that, you know, commute up to Detroit every Monday and just been like, oh, you're crazy. There's no way. <laughs> you guys are crazy. You're, you know. Go, go where again? Where do you get that stuff from? Because I want right. some. <laughs> right. I mean, the world is has literally stopped. I mean, it, it is it is unprecedented um, from from a societal aspect, certainly an economic aspect. Um, to to see the world uh, kind of in stasis is is just bizarre. You know, I feel like there's also a bit of a silver lining. You know, I get to spend uh, a little bit more time uh, just kind of thinking about, um, you know, well, what next? And, and there's a, a tremendous opportunity, I think, as the world sort of reconfigures itself around um, this, this normal that has evolved uh, to, for folks to have, you know, new creative ways to solve brand new problems. Um, you know, I think, personally, I think on the other side of this, there's going to be a renaissance in, in technology and, and the willingness of people to be, to, to stand and utilize technology in ways we haven't even begun to think of and probably wouldn't have thought of for decades had we not been forced to re-examine how we operate as a, as, a, as a world. Really cool. Yeah, and I think the paradigm of what it means to get work done and where, even in organizations that are traditionally 
been rooted in the office culture are going to have to reevaluate from a long-term standpoint. I know we're still in the short term, what it means to get the job done, whatever that job may be and where it can be done from. And Mm -hmm. the probably how hook or that mental catch of many organizations on not implementing a work from home policy has been, well, work's not going to get done. Too many distractions. Well, and I've seen it personally in my day job where, and again, we're kind of in that traditional standpoint of you got to be in the office that is like, holy crap, not only is work getting done, but the level of service mm-hmm. is beyond what it was when it, we were in the office. Oh, it's it's wild. It, yeah. I, I just... Um... You know, we, we just, well, either fortunately or unfortunately, in the middle of the pandemic, decided to, to, to go about obtaining our first uh, condo together. And I was on the phone with the bank and the gal said, you know, I apologize. Uh, I have dogs in the background and my cat is going nuts. What I've noticed in all of my interactions, which now happen, have, have to happen over like customer service uh, and 1-800 lines and all that sort of thing, is that these folks who are working from home are so much more human. I feel like I'm talking to somebody who's just trying to help me fix my problem, yep. which is so refreshing. Yep. Uh, you know, even even dealing with you know some some of our favorite internet providers uh, in the area uh, <laughs> is a little bit more pleasant. You know, they they're they're just a little bit more human, and I think that's it's kind of an interesting change. Definitely an interesting change. Yeah, you know, maybe so anecdotally, it has to do with the commute or lack thereof. I mean, yeah, you know, not having to sit in traffic for two hours, depending on, you know, if you're in one of the metro, big metro areas on either coast or even in this, you know, center of the country where, you know, hey, you know, if you're like me, get up, you know, don't have to get up nearly as early, you know, you know, can sleep in just a little bit longer um, you know, get out and cause it's nice. And I, I, my wife and I had this conversation a couple of days ago. I honestly, if, you know, just using my example as, you know, anecdotal evidence is I'm actually working more hours through the day. Granted, I'm, you know, little breaks here and there cause the kids mm-hmm. have school that they need help with, or, you know, something, my wife needs help with something. But, you know, when I'm working, I, I feel like I'm, that much more efficient and getting a mm-hmm. lot more done in shorter amount of you know time than just going in the office and well you know I'm putting in my eight hours today and waiting for the you know clock to strike four o'clock five o'clock or whatever and yeah so again I think that's that paradigm shift that individuals are having organizations are having what it means to to work and I've been personally more with the the folks that I manage is like. Let's get the job done. If it takes mm-hmm. 80 hour work week to get the job done, great. If it takes 50, great. If it takes 30, let's get the job done. Let's not be completely focused on, well, got to get our 40 hours in. What are we doing in that time period that matters yeah. not hitting a certain, you know, arbitrary number of 40 hours or whatever? Yeah, I feel like everyone has just become a little bit more oriented on on that single concept of what's the actual problem and how do I solve it versus all of the, you know, there's there's a lot of winding things that happen when you're in the office and people overhear your problem solving method and they maybe want to have an opinion and things get off track, you know, 
it, it's 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 very interesting to to see and feel um, the the level of focus uh, in in service that that's being delivered from a lot of different organizations. Um, I think I think I hope it's something that persists. I do think it will be something that persists because these these companies and 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 places who have been very uh, I guess stubborn and not wanting to have work from home are failing miserably. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know if you can do it, it, it behooves a company now to to evolve with it and and allow it to happen and figure out how to structure their business around this new way of doing it. And if you can't do that, well, you may have a tough time. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, and I don't want to see anybody out of work and I don't want to see anybody yeah. struggle, but for the forest to grow, the, the old growth has to die yeah. uh, for it to sustain. I mean, it's just, you know, basic um, laws of nature and, and, business and is no different Mm -hmm. so those that adapt will survive and those that don't will not and Mm -hmm. i think but there's an upside there's all and i i may be a little bit of an optimist here but when we talk about workforce shortage man there's a lot of time now for people to skill up I mean, yeah. it's cybersecurity, you can go on sites like Udemy or Cybery.it and get really cheap and really high quality uh, infusions of knowledge and work on you know, new skill sets for low cost and come in and you've got companies still that are needing cybersecurity professionals or, or even general IT folks. Because we've got this whole new set of problems, IT problems, that we have to deal with. Um, so I think there's opportunity abound, even as we are probably on that swing of a recession, mm-hmm. um, for people to be successful and opportunities for people. You know, I'm sure there are going to be sharks out there that'll that'll do the wrong thing and, and be unethical, but I think there are those opportunities for people to ethically and, you know, morally make really good livings out of, um, you know, the, the situation that we find ourselves in. Yeah. There's, there's so many resources out there. I mean, like right in Indianapolis, the, um, the 1150 Academy is an incredible nonprofit that just continues to gain traction and they are always offering opportunities to learn new coding practices and and it's a lot of it is very low cost or completely free yeah and it's extremely high quality i mean the the leadership over there has a ton of experience so you know that you're getting good stuff i think i think that's a point that i i I should probably take more advantage of some of the free yeah. time and resources that, you know, I always feel like, ah, do I watch, do I watch the, the, the latest, uh, you know, bit of, of Tiger King that I have to catch <laughs> up on or, or should I maybe take a course? You got to play a little bit. It can't exactly. always be just go, go, go. But yeah, I, I think there's opportunity now and, yeah, at the beginning of this, as we're trying to figure out things, I was, you know, doing some junior level uh, pen testing classes just to, you know, expand myself and help mainly because it's a new responsibility I took on at work. So I wanted to be competent when, as I'm leading my team. But mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so many opportunities out there. And if a person is willing and has the open mindedness, to go out and do it and take advantage of it, 
they should, uh, and they'll be rewarded. It may take a little while, but I think that that effort will pay off in the long run. What's the saying? The world is your burrito. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have the, if you have the will and, and you've got access go yep. for it. Well, I know we're getting close on time and I, I want to be cognizant and be uh, considerate of, uh, of your time. Cause I know you're busy. Is there anything else? I mean, just, you know, from a, a professional standpoint or anything else you want to uh, discuss before we wrap up? No, honestly, this has been awesome. I really, I really enjoy the, the opportunity to chat and have these kinds of conversations. And, you know, I, uh, I really just appreciate having the chance to, to be on the, on the show. Yeah. And I, I I'm very thankful. And, and again, many, many, many thanks for taking the time out. And I know we've had some uh, really thoughtful and, and great conversations in the past and a hell of a good job of, of recreating that over a distance mm-hmm. um, to really just take the time, you know, see the human side of everything that's going on and, and talk cybersecurity, talk life. And I think just give some listening opportunities out there for, for people. And um, also thankful for Verico for allowing you to, to come on and spend in an hour chit chat. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure, man. This is awesome. All right, my friend, we'll stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll talk to you here soon. Perfect. Thank you.